there is a lot of stuff uh, going on, a lot of stuff that's exciting uh, that I want to give you an update on. Um, and I've debated on whether to do uh, the message first or the update first. I'm going to go message first. But the thing I want you to see is the most important thing today is the Word of God. That's what I want you to take home today. And so you'll see the faith of a woman that is greater than anyone that we've seen in the book of Mark so far. And that's the type of faith I want. That's the type of faith I want our church to be filled with and our city to be consumed with. It's a game-changing faith. It's life-transforming faith. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. But then we're also going to see a man that can't hear, can't speak. Jesus touches him, and he can hear and speak. Now, everybody in the room can hear, and everybody in the room can speak. And what I've been asking God for my life and what I'm asking God for your life is that you hear with fresh ears the Word of God. And as you hear the Word of God, I pray that you speak the Word of God. It's an amazing thing. Jesus says, hey, don't spread this yet. There's more to the story that you don't know. Don't take this and spread it. But the man and the crew couldn't help but tell others about Jesus. And the message was he does all things well. And on this side of the cross, we have so much more to add to that conversation. And so my prayer is that we speak much about... It's easy to talk about people that do things well. Uh, driving last night, I saw downtown. It's lit up orange. I've seen more orange this past month than the 39 years of my life put together because one team did something really well this season. How much more should the church be repping Jesus in the community when we look at the cross and remember what Jesus has done for us? And so that's my goal. All right, and then we'll give a, a brief update. So we've got a lot of work to do, all right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us this morning. Lord, I do pray that you are with my family, Andrew's family. I pray that uh, you're with other people that are also sick and going through some things. I, I pray that you bring healing, that uh, we know you're with us, that you comfort us. You're an awesome God who provides for us. I also pray for the word today. I pray that we hear it, that we see this example of faith, but ultimately that we see your son, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that he changes us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to meet two people. We're going to find them in verse 24 all the way to 37. Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Are we ready? He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Now, when you hear that account of Jesus, what's the shocking part of that account? What's the shocking part? What do you guys think? Calling her a dog. His reply. Right? Because up until this point, we've seen Jesus encounter some pretty fierce... A man with leprosy, no problem. 
A man with a withered hand, no problem. He touches and is made well, touches and made well, touches and made well. And now this lady begging for her daughter's life says, whoa. It almost sounds like Jesus doesn't care. But you're going to see that he presents an option to this woman and she is the first one that responds in faith in the book of Mark. So let's, let's just do a little bit of background. Scribes and Pharisees, those are the religious leaders. Those are the guys that know the Old Testament. Those are the guys that should have known Jesus. Jesus also put them to the test. In Mark 2, 16-17, when the scribes who were the Pharisees saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he told them, it is not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so he gives them a story, he gives them a picture. And he says, hey, a doctor goes and helps sick people, not healthy people. And so the Pharisees had an option in how they responded to that parable. And they did not respond correctly. And Jesus gives this lady a parable. And says, hey, my ministry, my focus right now is on the people of Israel, not the Gentiles. And she answers in the parable and she says, but you would be enough. Whereas the Pharisees and scribes say, nah, Jesus, you're right. I am healthy. I am righteous. I don't need you. They become the ones who judge Jesus. Where the woman responds and begs for mercy from Jesus. How do we know this? How do we know how the scribes and Pharisees responded? Well, in Mark 3... Jesus is there on the Sabbath, and he asks a question, is it lawful to do good or to do bad on the Sabbath? And the Pharisees wouldn't respond to him. He goes on, he heals this man, and it says immediately the Pharisees went out and started plotting with the Herodians against him how they might kill him. So that's how you could respond to Jesus. That's not how you approach God, by the way. In arrogance, thinking that we are the ones coming to judge the Son of God. That's not how you approach God. That's how some people try. doesn't work. But there's also another group, and we skipped this part in Mark, but he goes to his hometown. And in his hometown, he's not well received. As a matter of fact, they don't believe him. They're like, aren't you that boy that grew up in this house? Didn't you do this as a profession? Weren't you a carpenter? Like, what are you talking about? And they didn't believe him. As a matter of fact, Jesus has said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, among his relatives and his household. And he was amazed at their unbelief. And so here's my question to you this morning. If we could get behind the cover of your life, what type of faith would we see? In Matthew chapter 15, this story is recorded too. And it said that Jesus was astonished by this woman's great faith. What would be said of you? How is your faith? And so I want us to see from this text how we should approach God. What type of faith we should pursue. And first off, what you see right here off the bat, she entered the house, not wanting anyone to know it, but could not escape notice. She comes and bows at his feet. Here's my question. How does she get to Jesus? Jesus is hiding. He goes to a city that does not know him. 
Right? So Jesus has been hanging out in Israel. And he keeps walking, keeps walking, keeps walking until he gets to a city outside the limits. One guy put it this way. He goes to a spot where nobody cared if he was there. Except Jesus couldn't escape notice. And this lady was desperate. And she wouldn't be stopped from getting to Jesus. So right off the bat, you see her boldness. You see, one thing that, that you don't see in this, because you're not aware of the context maybe, is you don't go on your own to approach a rabbi, a teacher. You especially, if you're a Gentile woman, do not approach a Jewish rabbi. That was the custom. But you want to know what? This lady didn't care about the customs. She didn't care about the culture. She didn't care about being politically correct. She was bold. And she knew exactly who to go to. It's funny, one guy puts it this way, Tim Keller, he says, there are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are parents. Parents are not really on the spectrum from cowardice to courage because if your child is in jeopardy, you simply do what it takes to save her. That's where this mother is. The disciples are saying, Jesus, you've got to dismiss her, get her out of here, get her out of here, get her out of here. And she just keeps coming. That's boldness. Are you bold in approaching God? Do you come with boldness? Uh, William Carey put it this way. He's a missionary, a, a great missionary from 1700s, goes to uh, India. And he says, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. And he was trying to mobilize people who were very comfortable. And he's trying to get them out and saying, hey, we need help over here. He goes to God with boldness. How about your faith? Would it be characterized as being bold? Secondly, approach Jesus with humility. She comes and she falls at His feet. She's desperate. She goes to the feet of the Savior, and so she gets to Him, but she knows who He is. And so she falls on her knees. You guys, most of you do not know the movie Wayne's World. I have not seen it, but I've seen the clip where these two basically bums in the basement finally meet their rock and roll heroes. Alice Cooper and Aerosmith shows up, and what is their go-to saying when they show up? We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. You see, this lady understood that. And when she gets to Jesus, she understands she's not worthy. But she also knows the goodness of Jesus. Do you see the human? Did you know no one gets to God in pride? You will never turn to Jesus if you do not see your need for Jesus. And the only way you see your need for Jesus is you admit that you need a Savior, that you're a sinner who's fallen short of the glory of God. The one thing that keeps people from God is arrogance. That you can live life on your own and be okay. Pride will keep you from God every time. As a matter of fact, all of us struggle with this issue. We think we can get up and do things in our own power. And we fail to see our greatest need is for Jesus. Has Jesus been on your radar this morning? Has Jesus been on your radar when you woke up to 
get here? Was Jesus on your radar when you were working this past week? Or are you doing this in your own strength? You see here, this lady exemplifies a picture of humility. She bows down before him. Now, Wayne's World is a comedy, right? Alice Cooper and Harris, we don't care about them. But Jesus is infinitely more worthy than me. And when I come into his presence, I am unworthy. And so is everyone else who walks this planet. It's an amazing thing, some of the arrogance that I've heard throughout the years. One guy was listening to an interview with Robert De Niro, and, he said, and it was a, a Christian interview, and the guy asked him, well, if you ever do stand before God, what would you say? And De Niro said, well, I would say, God, you have some explaining to do. I was with another guy, a coach, and uh, he was talking about how the season wasn't going the way that he wanted, and he goes, you know what, when I stand before God, I'm going to ask him two questions. And it was something about football and another thing about his high school career. Do you see the arrogance in those responses? When we stand before the glory that belongs to Jesus, we're not saying anything. We're bowing down before Jesus because we're not worthy. And the awesome part is the worthy God, Jesus, welcomes us into His presence because of what He's done for us. But if you never ever come to the point where you decide you're not worthy, and you come in humility to Jesus, you'll never ever meet Him. Until it's too late. Eternally too late. Pride is something that is killing this community. It will kill this church. It will kill Holmes High School. People will never see God if their glory is in themselves. But this lady comes with boldness and humility and bows before the Son of God. Is that your type of faith? Is that how you approach God? We don't deserve God, but we get God. Isn't that amazing? That's humility. Next, approach Jesus with perseverance. She doesn't give up. You don't see it in the translation, but it's this idea of she keeps asking. She keeps asking and she keeps asking. And in the other account in Matthew, the disciples get annoyed with her. and She's like, uh, Jesus, you, you got to get this lady out of here. She's not giving up. She's not quitting. She keeps coming after Jesus. Shawshank Redemption. If you've never seen it, just wait. It'll be a rerun in this week sometime. Shawshank Redemption movie. Guy goes to jail for a crime he didn't commit. And while he's in jail, he wants to build a library. Right? And so what he decided, he'll write a letter uh, to the state because the warden wouldn't give him a dime for the library. He writes a letter to the state, one a week, keeps on sending them, keeps on sending them, keeps on After six years, after 312 letters, a few boxes of books show up and a check for $200 from the state saying, this is for your library, you can stop writing us now. And Dufresne's response was, man, this is what happens, it only took me six years, you know what I'll do now? I'll write two letters every week. And he leaves. And it shows later on in the movie, this guy has a massive prison library. Right? Just keeps coming, keeps coming, keeps coming. This is my question. Do you have a persevering faith? Do you have a relentlessness about you about getting after Jesus? You didn't get the promotion. You didn't get the job you want. You didn't get the relationship you wanted. Things aren't going the way you think they should go for you. Are you still pursuing Jesus? 
That's the relentlessness we're looking for from this lady's example. She has a response where the man whose feet she's down by says, I'm not giving you any food, you dog. And she stays there. She's not leaving Jesus. Because I think she understands what most people don't understand. Jesus wasn't calling her a dog. He was showing off her faith. But she stuck with it. One guy puts it, uh, puts it in this approach. He thinks that this lady is the first one that responds in faith to Jesus. So many times Jesus is given parables and the disciples don't get it. And do you remember what Jesus tells to his disciples, his boys, his dudes? He said, are you still not understanding? You of little faith, do you still not get it? And they don't. But then you get to this lady. And in one conversation, she gets it. Isn't that remarkable? Do you see what Jesus is doing? He's holding up this lady and said, hey, watch her faith. Be like her. She stays with it. And then next, approach Jesus with confidence. Jesus gives her a parable, knows that she's a mother, and she, he explains, hey, listen, I can't give you the food yet until everybody at the table eats. And yet she knows, she has the confidence that at Jesus' table, even the crumbs under the table would satisfy. That's some confidence in the Son of God. She knows there's no one else to turn to. No one else can help her with her daughter. And so she stays right there and says, Hey, Jesus, I know you have more than enough. And I'm ready for mine now. Isn't that amazing? Do you have that type of confidence? Does that characterize your faith? So you see this. Um, I think something that's helpful about when you know who Jesus is, it's easier to put your confidence in Him. Uh, Balin, she's on the Joe Burrow bandwagon. She's got the sweatshirt, has Burrow on the back. But the first day she wore it to school, I said, oh, Balin, that's an awesome sweatshirt, but I don't know who Joe Burrow is. She's like, Dad, it's Burrow. He's the quarterback. I'm like, Balin, Burrow is B-U. Your shirt says B-O. It's Joe Burrow. She's like, no. Dad, are you serious? She starts taking the sweatshirt off. She's like, Dad. It is a you. Right? She puts it back on, but she wasn't confident. But then Camden hears it and tries to do the same joke later on. I've got to teach Camden on timing. Camden comes in, oh, yeah, Balin, who's Joe Barrow? And she's like, it's not what it says. It's a you, right? All of a sudden, now her, she doesn't have to take a sweatshirt off anymore. She's confident. She knows what it says. She's seen the name. And she trusts the name. She doesn't have to take the shirt off and check anymore. Confidence grows. When you know Jesus and you've been walking with him and he gets you through some tough times and you look back throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament, throughout church history and what Jesus has done for you and for his people, your confidence should be through the roof. If Jesus says, hey, you can bury me for three days, but I'm coming out and then he does it. How much should our confidence be in the son of God? And when he says he can save all of those who call on him, I'm going to trust him. My confidence will be in Jesus. 
And when things don't make sense around me, my confidence will be in Jesus. He can satisfy you, satisfy you with the crumbs, but you know what? He doesn't give you the crumbs. He didn't give this woman the crumbs. He completely satisfied her need. Her daughter was made well. And I believe one day we might meet this lady in heaven. We might see her walk. And you want to know who else we might meet? Her daughter. Because she knew exactly who Jesus was. And she put her faith in Him. How about you? How about you? Do you have a confident faith? A humble faith? Persevering faith? A bold faith? Is that yours? That's what we see in this text. And then, uh, Ephesians 1, if you guys are taking notes, which I hope you are, Ephesians 1, 7 and 8, when we're talking about crumbs, it says, in Jesus we have redemption through His blood. Right? So, a bigger need than my daughter's demon-possessed, which is a big need. Right? A bigger need than that is our sin separating us from God. But here it says our needs met. How? Through the blood of Jesus. We have the forgiveness of sin. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that He lavished on us. Do you guys know what lavished means? I think of it this way. Um, we, we tried to do a slip and slide um, at, when I was a youth pastor. We had the hill, but we didn't have the water. And we were running it from the building, but the, I mean, we're talking two football fields of garden hose. And, and we're running it out there from the, the spigot from the building, and we're shooting down the water, and it's not enough to wet the tarp. And so students are getting on, and they're just sticking to the tarp. I'm thinking, this is not good. This is... This is not lavished. So the next time, we had a chief, a fire chief from a local police department say, hey, I think I got what you need. He shows up with a fire hose, connects it to a couple hydrants, and man, you get on the slip and slide now, you're going to the bottom. That picture of a fire hose pouring out the water, that's what I see when I see God say, hey, Grace, that you need, God lavished it on. He will drown you in His grace. Or maybe cinnamon rolls. And I know this might be bad being this close to lunch. Cinnamon rolls, they're great until you run out of what? The icing. My grandma, I don't know how she did it, would make the same icing that they come in the container of the cinnamon roll. And the best thing is every bite of cinnamon roll that I wanted was covered in as much icing as I wanted. I loved going to grandma's. I was thankful I didn't live with her. I'd be about 400 pounds. Every bite, though, of this cinnamon roll covered in as much icing as I wanted. That's lavished. Jesus doesn't give you the crumbs. He lavishes his grace on you. How did he do that? What did Jesus give you? So that he could lavish grace on you, that he could forgive you of your sin. What did he do? Died on the cross. You can't be given anything more than that. The Son of God died on the cross so He could pour mercy and grace on us, including this Gentile woman. She thought this was a lot. Just wait till she heard the news about what Jesus did on the cross. That's the type of faith 
we're encouraged to have. And then we keep going, and this one will be a little bit shorter. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by the way of Sidon to Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. Jesus is in all the wrong places. He's walking about 120 miles around to all the cities that don't care about the Son of God. But watch how he's received. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private after putting his fingers in the man's ears, spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. That's a good uh, if you ever ask for a description of somebody, that's a good description of Jesus. He does everything well. And do you see how personal Jesus gets here? You see, if, if you know someone who is deaf and mute, it's hard to make sounds. And so this guy, everybody's attention would go to him when he tries to speak and ask Jesus for something. And so Jesus pulls him away and in private. What does Jesus do? Do you guys see what Jesus did there? He took him away from the crowd private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. That's personal, isn't it? But you know what? He spoke in the language of the man he was helping. And he made sure that this man knew this isn't some type of magic. This isn't some type of potion. Nobody paid for this. This is the Son of God healing what is broken. And no one could mistake it. That's why he touches his ear and touches his tongue. And immediately he's made well. And I, I love this. Jesus said, like, hey, don't tell everybody yet. Why? why? Why would Jesus say, hey, hey, not yet, not yet? Because the best news wasn't there yet. If you think that's cool, just wait. That's what Jesus is saying. And so I want you to see with, with these two backdrops here, right? These two, two backdrops. I want you to see Romans 10, 17. Someone look up Romans 10, 17. When you get there, read it out loud for me. We're going to see how we tie all of these things together. Romans 10, 17. Say it one more time louder. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, about Christ. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word of God. What's the last part? That's it. Faith comes from hearing, hearing from the word of God. The word of God is what, though? The word about Christ. The word about Christ. Right? So I want you to see this. We want to see people who have faith, like this woman, they need to be introduced to the Word of God. They need to be introduced to the message, to the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what Jesus has done, how He died on the cross for our sin, how He rose from the grave, how He intercedes for you and for me today, how He can transform your life, how He's transformed my life. People need to hear that. How do they hear that? 
How do they hear that? You got to talk about it. You have to talk about it. And that's all Romans 10 is about. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the Word of God. We have to speak the Word of God. Now, I want you to see this. This man is miraculously healed from being deaf and mute. Have you been miraculously healed? Have you been miraculously healed? I would say spiritually speaking, if you know Jesus and have been forgiven sin, you have more to talk about than this man. Your testimony is strong. You were dead in your sin. I was dead in my sin. I didn't want to have anything to do with God. And then Jesus came. And while I didn't touch my mouth or insert my ear, He spoke to me in a language that I needed to hear, the gospel, and it got to my heart. And He's transformed my heart from the inside out. So now I'm alive to the things of God. I used to be dead. He made me alive. He does all things well is my testimony. And if you know Jesus, that's your testimony. My question is, why is it so quiet? That's where the challenge comes from this text. I want the type of faith that leads to hearing the Word of God. Jesus, what do you have for me? And you know what Jesus does? He always brings up challenging things. Like there was a big crowd following Him. And He says, yeah, unless you deny your mother and father, unless you eat this and eat that. And people are like, man, these things are too tough. I'm gone. And they stopped following Him. But the disciples stuck with Him. And Jesus asked, are you going to leave too? And the disciples' response is, Jesus, where do we go? You have the words of life. They wanted to hear the word of God, even when it was hard, even when they didn't understand it. Is that you? You see, a lot of times people will read this Bible and make it say what they want it to say. If you want to make a lot of money, you can twist this around to make a lot of money. Satan has been twisting God's word around forever. He started it in the garden and he's doing it today. I want to hear from God. I want to take this Bible and what God means, I want to apply it to my life. The difficult parts, the easy parts. And then I want to share it with others. When's the last time you said anything about Jesus to a friend, a family member, a neighbor? And if it's been a while, ask God to help you be bold And share. You have a testimony if you know Jesus. But maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Jesus has never transformed my life. I've never had a personal encounter with Jesus. You can. You can put your faith in Him right now. You don't need a go-between. The Son of God hears His people when they pray. And that Romans 10 passage... In Romans 9, it says, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. You turn from your sin and you call on Jesus to save you, He'll answer you. He'll do what He did for the woman asking for her daughter. He'll make those who don't deserve a a seat at the table have a spot at the table. And He purchases it with His own blood. And He invites you in. I want you to see the tie, and we'll close with this. Isaiah 35, what Brian read earlier. 
you see there's a reason why Mark includes this account and uses the language that he uses. The, the people reading this would go all the way back to Isaiah 5, and it would remind them of a promise the prophet made. I want you to hear this. Isaiah 35, starting with uh, the second part of verse 2. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So Jesus is the exact imprint of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. When you see Jesus, you see the glory of God, the splendor of God. Verse 3, strengthen the weak hands, steady the shaking knees. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus does. He will strengthen you when you need it, when you ask for it, in humility. When you say, I am weak, but you are strong, you will see how strong your God is. Say to the coward, be strong and do not fear. That's what Jesus does. He turns cowards into those who are fearless. They're not afraid to take on the world. They're not afraid to stand for the glory of God. Here is your God. But then it says, vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming. He will save you. That's an interesting thing to say there. And then look at the end of this. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Does that sound familiar? That's what we just read in Mark. Then the lame will leap like a deer. Remember that guy that was let down through the roof? Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. He says he leaped with joy. That's what we see. Then it ends. But the redeemed will walk on it and the ransomed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. Joy and gladness will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee. Do you remember Jesus, before healing him, has this deep sigh? Do you see how Mark is saying, hey, things aren't right. But the Son of God has come to make it right. You want to know why He's making it right? Because He does all things well. This is a beautiful picture of how Jesus is the one who was promised. And then the problem is, so what's He talking about vengeance and retribution? He's not coming to bring it. He's coming to bear it. That's exactly what He does on the cross. You want to know how we're saved from the judgment of the Father on sin? It's not because we cleaned ourselves up. We don't deserve a spot at the table in the presence of God. But Jesus says, hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. You can have my spot. And I'll take your spot out there with the dogs. I'll take your spot carrying your cross, being nailed to this tree, being lifted up, dying, even though I have no sin. I'll take your spot so you can have my spot at the table. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why we approach God with confidence and with boldness and with humility and with perseverance. That's why we want to hear the word of God and be reminded of what Jesus has done, is doing, and will do for us. And that's why we want to tell others. Because you want to know what happens when they hear the message? They'll believe. And when they believe, they'll be saved. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I do ask for ears that hear, minds that understand. And Father, only you can open up the eyes of the blind that can't see your glory. 
So Lord, I pray that you help us see who you are and what you've done. Father, thank you for being an awesome God who goes to the nations. Thank you for letting us approach you with confidence and with boldness. Thank you for meeting our need. And even though even the crumbs will satisfy our deepest longings, that's not what you give. Thank you for lavishing your grace on us. And I pray that we're changed. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.